Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 11.70 a.m. in Sydney, wherever you tuned in via the SEN app. That's right, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. As you know by now, Thursdays is the day that we just have a bit of fun and everybody's a winner. But I've got to test your sporting knowledge along the way. That'll get your attention. Your sporting knowledge this morning. And I'll be doing it just after the 10 o'clock news, which is when our Queensland listeners join us on 693 up there in Brizzy. So if you want to get in early, just give me a call once you hear the news. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. We've got a golf box prize pack to give away a Signet Boost power bank as well. And the theme today is an on-this-day theme. November 23rd, a fair bit happened in the world of sport today. Either um, famous athletes that were born today. Merv Hughes has a birthday today. We were talking about swerving yesterday. He turned 62 today. The great Shane triple Olympic gold medalist turns 67 today. So I've got a specific question about swerving and I've got an Olympic question as well in there. In fact, there's a couple of cricket questions because there's some interesting stuff that happened on this day and around this day as well. And also in Formula One. So we'll be touching on your knowledge of sport across a range of of issues today. That's the last listener standing quiz, just part of the show this morning. And I've got some news around both Formula One and golf in particular, and not to mention tennis, because the Davis Cup knockout quarterfinal is underway and Australia looking good to go through. So I'll keep you updated on that in just a second. My guest today, Anthony Caceres from Sydney FC, will join us. Looking forward to that chat on a number of fronts. Of course, we've got the Sydney Derby this weekend at Allianz Stadium against Western Sydney Wanderers. And hasn't it been an interesting story? So you've got the Wanderers there on top of the ladder. You've got the history there, especially after last year and what happened in the dressing room post-match. You've got Sydney FC with their new coach coming off the back of their first win of the season and off the back of the international break as well. And meanwhile, Anthony's been there for, what, six seasons now, and has a brand new coach. He's obviously got some form with Ufuk Talley, who has been there in an assistant capacity, but Anthony was only coached up until that point by Steve Corica. So there's a few things to talk about with Anthony this morning. We'll do our wine segment with Ben Riggs, the chief winemaker at Ponting Wines. Blake Solly from South Sydney Rabbitohs, the CEO, will join me there. And what I want to touch on with Blake, A, what's happening out there at the Bunnies. We know that they're back in training. We've seen Jack Whiten back in action as well. But also take a look ahead to the logistics of the US tour. Now, we know the Manly Seagulls party of John Bonacera, the general manager of football, Tony Mestroff, the CEO there, and, of course, their coach, 
have been, Anthony Seabold have been over there on a bit of a fact-finding mission to try and sort out a few things and check out some sports along the way. But how does this all play out? Because now it's real and they're going to have to start working out the timing, uh, when they leave, how they get back, what the interruptions, all of that stuff. So we'll pick our way through that with Blake a little bit later on this morning. So that's the lineup of guests, plus plenty more along the way. What's ahead of us this morning, weather-wise, possible shower for the rest of Thursday here in Sydney, a maximum of 25 degrees in the city and 28 in our west. Showers or two tomorrow, and that'll continue throughout Saturday and Sunday. Of those on the weekend, Saturday looks the worst at the moment. 70% chance of rain and up to 8 millimetres, but hovering around the same temperature scenario, sort of mid-20s. What's ahead of us this morning in terms of results? Where well, they're coming in thick and fast as we speak. So I've been keeping across the Davis Cup tie, Australia v. the Czech Republic in Malaga in Spain. And in fact, Australia have just won that tie. So Matthew Ebden and Max Purcell have just won the third match to give Australia a 2-1 uh, victory over the Czech Republic. And they move now into the semi-finals. So the first match was Thomas Machach against Jordan Thompson. And Jordan went down in that one in straight sets. The second match was an absolute corker. And guess who brought it home for Australia? Alex Dimonor. He was up against it, a set down, a breakdown. Yuri Lehechka led 4-6. Well, in the end, it was Dimonor 4-6, 7-6, 7-5. So Lehechka took the first 6-4 and looked as though he was going to wrap it up. And the might of Alex Dimonor came back and... That has led now to the doubles victory of Ebden and Purcell. So well done. They go through to the semi-finals, And guess what? They'll play Finland. <laughs> when was the last time you looked at the world of tennis and went, you know what? I reckon Finland might go all right here. I reckon the Finnish are going to go pretty good. Well, it's happened. They've defeated Canada this morning to make their first Davis Cup semi-final. So it's down to the final eight. They're playing in Malaga, Spain. Finland, the first Scandinavian country since Sweden in 07 to reach the semis. This is a huge upset and a good story too. About 30k south of where they're playing, there's a town that has the second largest population of Finnish people outside of Finland. So 14 busloads of supporters travelled up to the arena to support the Finnish team and they reckon it was more like Helsinki than Malaga. And Finland have gone through. Italy will play Netherlands and Serbia against Great Britain. So that's the scenario this morning as we speak, in fact, over there at the Davis Cup. Well done to the Aussies. Of course, we've got the golf going. Australian PGA Championship underway at Royal Queensland. Um, it's a good field. Adam Scott out early, Cam Smith. So we're talking about Scotty, the US Masters champion in 2013, two-time PGA winner. PGA Championship winner here in Australia. Cam Smith was out not long after him. You're talking a three-time PGA Championship winner, of course, the British Open champ as well. Jed Morgan's in the field as well. He won it in 2021. It's been pretty close at the top. In fact, it's been a six or seven-way tie at the top, and that's the way it remains at the moment. So after eight or there about eight or nine holes in the first group, as my scoreboard refreshes, we've got Elvis Smiley continuing to lead the way. There are one, two, three, four, five, six players now at two under the card, including Cameron Davis 
and Minwoo Lee. And then Adam Scott is at one under through eight holes. And a little bit further down, Cameron Smith is at even par after seven holes. He got off to a pretty good start. When I checked early, he was two under the card, but Cam Smith's now just dropped back to par. So early days at the Australian PGA Championship. So we'll keep you across that. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, the big news around golf is about John Rahm. Apparently set to join Liv very soon. That announcement's set to come out very, very soon. And he's weighing up one heck of an offer. I mean, I don't know where you want to start with the numbers. Go and find a report on Google and you'll find a different number over and over and over. But there, it's big, big money. 600 million US, whatever it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be a heck of a lot of money. Here's one report that says he's been offered in excess of 572 million that he reportedly rejected. So that'll go up. And there's also some stuff around that it's not so much the money, funnily enough, when you're in that kind of territory, but the conditions and a few changes to the formats as well. So a bit to cover in golf, and I think that one should happen very quickly. I mentioned in the last listener standing quiz that we'll also have some motorsport in there, and it will be about Lewis Hamilton. Well, Lewis Hamilton's the trigger for the question, but there's some news around this morning. And, you know, when you're in Formula One circles, this isn't a great shock. When you're sitting on the periphery, you go, hang on a second. And when you take a step further back, whilst it might seem very foreign, it probably makes really easy sense. Christian Horner's revealed that Lewis Hamilton knocked on Red Bull's door earlier this year to see if there was any chance of him going there instead of signing a new contract with Mercedes. Now, we know that didn't happen, but they did have the conversations. Now, these conversations go on all the time, but you're talking about a seven-time world champ who wants to get out of Mercedes and go and join Red Bull. Why? Because Red Bull have faster and better cars at the moment. Full stop. That's where it's at. He wants to win more championships. He wants to win more titles. He's currently on the list there. And we have to wait and see if he's ever going to break clear of Michael Schumacher on that list. Christian Horner said, we've had several conversations over the years about Lewis joining. They've reached out a few times. More recently, earlier in the year, there was an inquiry about whether there would be any interest. But here's the thing. He then said, but I can't see Max and Lewis working out together. The dynamic wouldn't be right. We are 100% happy with what we have. So nothing really unusual in the fact that a driver looks across to the leading team at the moment that's dominated the last three years in Formula One and says, I might have a little look-see there, especially at this stage of my career. There's a bit to go in Lewis's career. But the interesting part to me on that one is, of course, Red Bull would have found it hard on two fronts. One, the money to try and get Lewis across. And two, how does that partnership with Max Verstappen work? Because Max is the chosen one at Red Bull. And when you're the chosen one in Formula One, there's no room for a co-chosen one, if you know what I mean. But interesting to note that Christian Horn has spoken out about that. He doesn't mind throwing a few cans of fuel on the fire every now and then. And I think he's just done that when asked about Lewis Hamilton. Keep Lewis Hamilton in the back of your mind, folks, when we get to the last listener standing quiz 
a little bit later on. 0457 736 736 is the text line. If you've got any thoughts around tennis this morning, around golf, around Formula One, let me know. What about NRL? So Jerome Luai to the Tigers, possibly. The emoji, folks. The emoji might have been right. We spoke about the emoji from Bradman Best yesterday that made news. Um, put a little tiger and wide eyes emoji on a post from Jerome. And now we start to see the reports gather momentum. $4 million plus bid by the West Tigers, spearheaded by Benji Marshall. Everything's sounding as though it's being done exactly how you'd want it to be done, I reckon, if you're a player in demand. Now, if the Panthers have maxed out at $850,000 and it's a monetary thing, then the Tigers are way down the street, $1.1 million thereabouts per season. And then the reports on the back of the telly today about could David Clemmer be the key here? Offloading him and therefore freeing up the space around $750,000. Clemmer's contracted until 2026, so we're back at Moneyball. And Luai could be offered the chance to be the playmaker there, the chief playmaker at the Tigers at either six or seven. So gathering some steam, that story, the emoji has now turned into uh, a bid of some description. And there's been meetings already. So let's watch this space. Good to see that Michael Maguire is reportedly going to keep the Kiwis job. New South Wales, of course, will be next. And maybe still Canberra. So the Kiwis have reportedly rubber-stamped his retention as New Zealand coach. And it would have had to have been a no-brainer. I understand that if he's going to New South Wales and that pathway into the Australian jersey what does that mean? But how can you turn away from a coach who's got them to where he's got them to? He's got a contract until the end of the 2026 World Cup. And I just wonder whether they were going to get swamped by the old boys club over there. Know much more about it than I do. But from the outside looking in, it's like, well, what, what was wrong with Michael Maguire? Not too much for the Kiwis. And it looks as though they've come to that conclusion, which means the NSWRL, New South Wales Rugby League, when they finally get together, should formalise Madge's appointment for the Blues' state of origin job and maybe some talks with Ricky Stewart about keeping his role a reduced role at Canberra. So it might be a triple whammy for Michael Maguire. Um, an international job, a New South Wales state of origin job and keeping his finger in the domestic slash NRL pie as well. Did you see Marnus Labuschagne revealing that he didn't know he was playing in the World Cup final until late the night before? And late. Quarter past ten at night he got the phone call. So sitting around, probably thinking about coffee. Um, if not, you know, fine-tuning his, his blend <laughs> in, the, in the hotel room. He said, I thought when I hadn't heard by 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I might have been done. But I'm very thankful the selectors stuck with me and trusted me in that final. So they gave him a call at quarter past 10 in the hotel room and said, you're in. Um, Good thing that he wasn't planning on sleeping early the night before the World Cup final. And again, it just shows you how incredible the story of Marnus Labuschagne throughout this ODI World Cup has been. Wasn't in the original extended squad or the final 15 because of a whole heap of situations along the way he ended up playing every game scored 362 runs at an average of 40 was electric in the field and of course had 58 not out in the final but it wasn't until quarter past 10 the night before that he knew he was going to play he did say he wasn't shattered that he wasn't in the team 
originally because, in his words, I didn't think I deserved to be. Something that he said to me when we sat down and did some interviews, which you'll hear throughout the course of the SEN summer cricket coverage as well. He had no problems with it, and he knew that there was a chance that he might get the call up, but he didn't have a problem with it because he didn't think that he was in that best squad. And there he is all the way, taking us alongside everybody else in that team to a World Cup final. A great story, I reckon, just one of many that start to continue to come out now that we're getting players back and um, they're dusting themselves off, so to speak, after the celebrations, or perhaps they're still going. And that means that we've got ourselves a T20 match very soon. So what's that, 12.30, 1 o'clock tomorrow morning? 12.30 tomorrow morning, T20 number one. Back into it already. So that's our lineup on this Thursday morning. 0457 736 736 is my text line. The last listener standing quiz coming up after 10 o'clock, so straight after the news or thereabouts on 1300 1170. If you like your golf, got a prize pack to give away. It's got everything in there thanks to golfbox.com.au. Of course, the Signet Boost Power Bank. It's always good fun on a Thursday morning to test your sporting knowledge. So we'll do that, plus a great lineup of guests as well. You're listening to the Home of Sport in Sydney, 1170 AM here in Sydney. Sad news from South Sydney this morning. Legend Paul Sait has died. He'd been battling illness and dementia in recent years. He passed away early this morning. We'll be speaking with Blake Solly a little bit later on. Played 16 matches for Australia, including in the World Cups and also represented New South Wales in five games. In a career that started at Redfern back in 1968, he played in three grand finals with the Bunnies and won two of those. So victories in 1970 and 71 and also played in the 69 GF. And in 2004, he was named in South's Dream Team, which was a side pick from all players dating back to 1908. So passing away this morning, at the age of 76, and uh, some of my texters have said, that's very sad news, a real legend of my childhood rugby league memories, RIP. Thank you, from uh, Andrew from Newcastle, for that one. We'll be sure to offer our condolences to the South Sydney family, especially when we speak with uh, Blake Solly a little bit later on this morning. Just back to the John Rahm situation, and <laughs> this is the weirdest of weird worlds of golf that we're living in at the moment. So we know that the negotiations with Liv have ramped up. We know that the money's just off the scale. And we know that he's been a marked man to try and get him across there. Meanwhile, the PGA Tour has been trying to keep him happy. Well, this is where it gets crazy. You might remember about three months ago that John Rahm had said one of his, one of his criticisms for the PGA Tour to make it better for the players was put port on every hole. I'm serious. I'm, I'm 100% serious. <laughs> he said, um, he was asked about a, a bunch of things, and he said, look, my priorities are a lot lower than what people would think. We're talking about the Masters champion here. And he said, I know this is going to sound stupid, stupid, but simple as having a freaking porta potty on every hole. Sounds crazy, but I can't choose when I've got to go to the bathroom. I've told the tour this many times, as simple as that. Well, the PGA Tour has now gone and essentially listened to what John Ramos said and in the midst of this huge battle that they're trying to work out with Live Golf and the Saudis and who ends up doing what, 
they've started to change a few things. Now, these are changes that you would think might happen. You'd be getting, if you could, um, at your local club. These are PGA Tour players here. So they've now decided that in 2024, there's going to be an increase in the number of player restrooms. Each location that they play of must have two restrooms at each station. There will be a minimum of eight relief stations across 18 holes. So John Rahm wanted 18 porta potties. Uh, he must drink a lot of water. So they've, these are the changes the PGA Tour have made. I'm not making this stuff up. Eight relief stations across 18 holes. John Rahm also said the physio areas need to be a little bit better. And now the circuit, the PGA Tour, has made it a priority to introduce cold plunge recovery tubs at every event to help with inflammation and recovery. Among various other improvements aimed at helping players and caddies, there's going to be a complimentary courtesy car program and fixed locations for families on the course at every event. And John Rahm also wanted the quality of nutrition available. He said, I'd like to see that more across the board at every single tour event. So now tournament bosses around the PGA Tour are being encouraged to reevaluate the food and beverage programs they're currently implementing to help players maximise performance and recovery. So basically everything that John Rahm was whinging about, they've decided to put in. All of this stuff that you wouldn't even think about, players that are earning tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And believe me, when you go and see what they get at a PGA Tour, especially, I mean, obviously he's thinking about all the players here, and not every player earns that money 100%. I get it. But they're not struggling either when they turn up to one of these events. <laughs> it's pretty damn good. Mostly they have the courtesy cars, but they're looking after all the players. Just another weird part of this live golf thing. Is that going to be enough? Are the eight relief stations going to be enough to the PGA Tour to keep John Rahm away from a somewhere between six and $900 million deal that he's being offered to go to live golf? Don't know, but we might find out. Let's do the news. We'll go to the SEN newsroom. Anthony Caceres from Sydney FC will be joining me. It's going to be a massive night on Saturday night at Allianz Stadium. Of course, the Sydney Derby, Sydney FC off the back of a win against the Western Sydney Wanderers on top of the ladder. So the stage is set. Anthony Caceres joins us on the line. Morning, Anthony. You ready for this one? Good morning, guys. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, the first one we look for when the draw comes out. I bet it is. Uh, um, however, you wouldn't have foreseen what was going to happen at your club, and we'll talk about that soon. But I want to I talk about the two weeks because the international break, whichever way you look at it or which way you look at it, has either come at a good time or a bad time. How have you guys viewed that break after the win over Adelaide? Yeah, I think uh, it can only be a good thing for us. Um, obviously, we've had a new coach come in. Uh, we performed extremely well in his first game in charge away to Adelaide. And uh, the week off has given us the chance to build on, you know, the what we produced that game. Wolfie um, has come in and now has translated his ideas to the group. And we've uh, taken full advantage of the time off to, to work on it and understand what he wants from us. So it's been a very productive couple of weeks. Which is perfect off the back of that big win over Adelaide, isn't it, mate? Because you, you get to have that break and, like you say, have that time to 
to start to think about what happens next, but also you get to have that break with a winning feeling as well. So that must have made the, yeah. the group chats a little bit better. Yeah, no doubt. You know, the weeks are much longer when you don't win. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you do win, you just want to keep playing as often as possible and get to that next game quickly. Um, so, you know, training's been at a very high intensity uh, with a lot of enthusiasm because that result gave us the belief um, and obviously reassured us that we are a very capable team uh, in this competition. And, you know, it's uh, very important to head into a derby with high spirits. Um, so the energy is high and the boys are buzzing about. Players always have their eyes on the job, have their minds on the job at hand and trying to win week after week. You don't know what's going on in in the offices and, and the administration up there and the way it played out, um, as, you, as you rightly pointed out, there you've got yourself a brand new coach. So what was the feeling like in the transition, especially somebody like yourself who's been around at Sydney FC for a long time and been under Steve Corica that whole time? Yeah, it was actually tough news to take, to tell you the truth. Uh, personally, uh, Steve was the one that brought me to the club. He handed me a kind of a lifeline, I suppose, when things weren't going too well for me in my career. And so to see him go, you know, it's never a nice feeling. Uh, you know, someone who uh, always handled himself with respect um, and obviously was very successful. Um, but the nature of the game is is that, you know, there there's no memory in football. Um, and these things happen. You know, he's not the first and won't be the last in the in the job to um, face this kind of, you know, fate, I suppose. Uh, nothing lasts forever, but I think everyone can look at his time at the club with great admiration. Uh, he ticked everything off and won everything, so it was a real pleasure uh, working with him over the years. Did you have a chance to, to have a chat with Steve on the, on the way out? Yeah, he came into the club and said uh, goodbye to everyone. Um, you know, which sums him up really as a person. He showed his face and, you know, thanked everyone for their efforts over the years, um, which I thought was great. And, yeah, obviously I spoke to him, uh, you know, away from that uh, over the phone. And, um, yeah, look, he seems to be doing well. He took it extremely well. Um, and, yeah, he's just looking forward to what's ahead for himself personally. So when you turn up to training, when you turn up to the next session and Ufuk Talay's there and he's, he's wait, waiting and ready to go, even somebody, mate, with your experience must have, must have felt like the first day at school again. Yeah, it's a bit like that, actually. Um, yeah, I've actually worked with Ufuk before. He was our assistant with uh, Steve being in charge. Um, so I, I kind of you know, knew what he was about. I knew that he's, he was going to be extremely demanding uh, and driven uh, once he took over and you know, no surprises there. Um, there's obviously a natural, I guess, reaction when a new coach comes in. There's a lifting intensity by everyone and it kind of rids everyone of the complacency that they might have had with a coach being there for such a long time like Steve was. So, uh, you know, the, the, the effect was immediately felt amongst the group. Do we see then, from the fans' perspective, do you do you think we see? I mean, obviously you got the result over Adelaide, which is fantastic, but there's there's still a long way to go. So, do fans, in your opinion, start to see a different Sydney FC or, or just a rejuvenated Sydney FC? Uh, yeah, it's got to be both for me. Uh, obviously, Uffy's uh, bringing in his own ideas and philosophy. Uh, his own way of training and, you know, I feel that in the short time he's been here, we've responded really well. Um, obviously, Sydney has an identity that it wants to 
uh, keep regardless of who's in charge, and that is to be the protagonist in every game and try to win trophies. So that philosophy stands. But our style of football under Ufi, I think, will suit us really well. Um, you know, he he holds everyone responsible for their jobs, and when we are all, you know, at a hundred percent, I think we could be uh, the best team in the competition. So then we look to Saturday night, mate, the Sydney Derby, and it's always a big one. I've been trying to think of words to summarise Sydney FCV, Western Sydney Wanderers and the clashes. I mean, there's there's tension involved. There's a little bit of spite involved. What about from a player's perspective? Do you feel the emotion in this game? Yes, yeah, you do, especially in the lead-up. But come the moment, you detach yourself from all that. Um, I feel playing football with too much emotion... Uh, hinders performance in the end. Ultimately, you've got a job to do and you need to have a cool mind to execute it. Um, but obviously, Davies get you know your blood boiling and uh, feed you the extra energy that you might not have in other games, especially with the backing of the fans. Uh, they make tremendous noise and support in these games and that's, that's a beautiful thing about this game and it makes it so unique. Does it? Uh, do we get an open door policy in the dressing room after this one, given what happened last time, or the doors remain shut? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That was extremely unexpected. Um, yeah, my <laughs> guess is that they're going to be shut, and you know, I don't think that will repeat itself again. <laughs> Just a quick one away from your club. Um, the news that came through yesterday that. Auckland will be coming back into the competition essentially, so you'll have a 13th team and and it also presents a rivalry over there in New Zealand, so we'll have two teams in New Zealand. What's been your reaction um, to that news? I think it's fantastic. Um, Obviously for New Zealand to have a a rivalry and a derby is great. I hope the game grows tremendously over there and give kids uh, another opportunity and pathway into professional football. And its impact on the league will be fantastic also. It means more games, more opponents, and it can only mean growth for the league ultimately. So I'm very pleased to see them come into the league. Yeah, it's absolutely huge news. And you've got a big game on Saturday night. So I'll let you get on with your day, mate. Thanks for your time and best of luck against the Wanderers. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks for having me on. Adam Scott is on the charge early at the uh, Australian PGA Championship at Royal Queensland. So Scott started on the back nine. And he started with four straight pars. Then he bogeyed the 14th par four. He's gone birdie at the 15th, birdie at the 16th, par at the 17th, the party hole, birdie at the 18th. And then he's turned and gone birdie at the first. So he is now three under the card. And Elvis Smiley, who up until about 30 seconds ago was two under, is now equal in first at three under as well. So Smiley started on the front nine. And had a blemish-free first nine holes. He went birdie-birdie to start and then parred the rest. And he's now parred the 10th and birdied the 11th. So three birdies and all pars outside of that for Elvis Smiley. Four birdies and the one bogey for Adam Scott. Minwoo Lee and a host of others. Brett Coletta, Jordan Zunich and John Lyris are all at minus two. Cameron Smith is not on this leaderboard, so he's slimmed down a little bit. It's got to say, it's a bit clunky, this PGA um, leaderboard this morning. It's certainly not up there with the um, US PGA one, so I'll have to do some serious scrolling to find out where Cam Smith is at the moment. But he's not within the top, uh, well, 20 or 30 at least that I can find. So update you there. Let's, Let's continue while we're here. So Jack Thompson, the... South Australian 
Is it even par? There's Cam Smith. So tied for 21st, even par through nine holes. Got there in the end. This John Rahm story is getting juicy. <laughs> getting really juicy. Phil Mickelson has responded to a report from a reporter over there that he's constantly butting heads with who said that Phil's been telling people that Rahm to live was done. Mickelson's jumped on social media and said, this isn't true, I don't know anything, I don't want to know anything, and I haven't said anything. Alan Shipnuck, who is the reporter, is the worst liar and a pathetic human. That was Phil Mickelson's response. Meanwhile, one of John Rahm's close mates, former NFL star um, JJ Watt, has said on Twitter <laughs> that in response to a post that uh, there was 600 million, talking 600 US, that's 917 million Australian dollars, in a report that was posted on Twitter that said, I heard there's 600 million on the table for Ram. JJ Watt, who lives in the same area as Ram and their good mate, says, if this number was correct, I would have driven to John's house myself and used extreme physical force to ensure that he signed that deal. <laughs> so th- this is one of these like emoji kind of stories that we were talking about yesterday. Who's going to out emoji who? Um, but it's all happening on social media this morning. And we should continually point out that John Rahm has continually said that he's not a fan of live golf, in particular the 54 holes. He's made it very, very clear. He said he doesn't have a problem with anyone in there and all that kind of stuff. He says, I laugh when people rumour me with live golf. I never liked the format. Always have a good time with Phil Mickelson, Sergio in the practice rounds of majors. Phil respects my decision and I respect his choice. He told me, Mickelson that is, that I have no reason to go play for Liv and he's told me that multiple times. So that's sort of all going on in the background, getting absolutely swamped by the numbers and the groundswell of social media reports that it's getting closer and closer and all the other stuff that's going on around the uh, world of golf at the moment that I told you about. If you missed it earlier, Australia through to the semi-finals now of the Davis Cup tie, defeating the Czech Republic this morning 2-1. It was a good win by the Aussies and a fight-back win too because Jordan Thompson dropped the first of the matches. He went out in straight sets. So the two singles matches, Jordan Thompson goes down and then Alex Dimonor comes out against Yuri Lehechka and wins in three sets. And then Matty Ebden and Max Purcell did the job in the doubles. So in they go, and they will face Finland in the semifinals, who upset Canada 2-1 as well. So then we've got, in the other half of the draw, Italy v. Netherlands and Serbia v. Great Britain. So I like this format of Davis Cup over there, the way that it rolls out and continues to just happen quickly. They just keep on pumping. So it's not drawn out, this final eight stage. So our opponents in the semi-finals will be Finland. And then, depending on who makes it through, you would have to say Australia start raging favourites against the Finnish to go through to the Davis Cup final, where there are still four contenders on the other side of the draw. And you would have to think that Serbia would be top of that list at the moment. So that's how it's playing out there. We'll hear a little bit later on this morning from the main players from the Australian side, including, of course, Captain Leighton Hewitt, who must have been absolutely pumped. He's got somebody like Alex Demonor and then the doubles pairing that he's got there to send on out. And it would have been backs against the wall talk 
100% from Leighton. We're in this fight. Let's get ourselves out. He loves a fight, Leighton. And he loves it when he's got fighters in his corner. Don't forget our last listener standing quiz. So we've got about nine minutes to go until we get to the news. As soon as you hear the 10 o'clock news, give me a call this morning on 1300 01 1170. You'll need to know some cricket knowledge, but it's all about on this day, November 23rd. Um, the birthday of Mervyn Hughes today, he'll feature. I'll just give you a heads up there. Shane Gould's birthday today, our great Olympian, three gold medals at the Munich Games. So there's an Olympic twist in this. Some more cricket as well. And if you were joining us yesterday, some of the names that we were throwing out yesterday as part of our all-time Good Time 11 will play a part in that. And Formula One too. I mentioned that it's been revealed that Lewis Hamilton, uh, Lewis Hamilton rather, knocked on the door of Red Bull earlier this year. Well, there'll be a Formula One question in there. We've got a golf box prize pack to give away, a Signet Boost power bank as well. It's always really good fun on a Thursday morning, so you've got to be in that to win that. And we'll be chatting with Blake Solly this morning from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So a very big lineup. Still a long way to go on this program on this Thursday morning and a lot of sport for us to follow that's continually happening this morning right around Australia and the world. You'll hear it right here first. Back after this break. Adam Scott is on the charge early at the uh, Australian PGA Championship at Royal Queensland. So Scott started on the back nine and he started with four straight pars. Then he bogeyed the 14th par four. He's gone birdie at the 15th, birdie at the 16th, par at the 17th, the party hole, birdie at the 18th, and then he's turned and gone birdie at the first. So he is now three under the card. And Elvis Smiley, who up until about 30 seconds ago was two under, is now equal in first at three under as well. So Smiley started on the front nine and had a blemish-free first nine holes. He went birdie-birdie to start and then parred the rest. And he's now parred the 10th and birdied the 11th. So three birdies and all pars outside of that for Elvis Smiley. Four birdies and the one bogey for Adam Scott. Minwoo Lee and a host of others, Brett Coletta, Jordan Zunich and John Lyris are all at minus two. Cameron Smith is not on this leaderboard, so he's slimmed down a little bit. It's got to say, it's a bit clunky, this PGA um, leaderboard this morning. It's certainly not up there with the um, US PGA one, so I'll have to do some serious scrolling to find out where Cam Smith is at the moment, but he's not within the top, uh, well, 20 or 30 at least that I can find. So update you there. Let's let's continue while we're here. So Jack Thompson, the South Australian, is at even par. There's Cam Smith. So tied for 21st, even par through nine holes. Got there in the end. This John Rahm story is getting juicy. <laughs> getting really juicy. Phil Mickelson has responded to a report from a reporter over there that he's constantly butting heads with who said that Phil's been telling people that Rahm to live was done. Mickelson's jumped on social media and said, this isn't true, I don't know anything, I don't want to know anything, and I haven't said anything. Alan Shipnuck who is the reporter, is the worst liar and a pathetic human. That was Phil Mickelson's response. Meanwhile, one of John Rahm's close mates, former NFL star um, JJ Watt, has said on Twitter <laughs> that in response to a post that uh, there was 600 million, talking 600 US, 
that's 917 million Australian dollars. In a report that was posted on Twitter that said, I heard there's 600 million on the table for Ram. JJ Watt, who lives in the same area as Ram and their good mate, says, if this number was correct, I would have driven to John's house myself and used extreme physical force to ensure that he signed that deal. <laughs> so th- this is one of these like emoji kind of stories that we we're talking about yesterday. Who's going to out emoji who? Um, but it's all happening on social media this morning. And we should continually point out that John Rahm has continually said that he's not a fan of Live Golf, in particular the 54 holes. He's made it very, very clear. He said he doesn't have a problem with anyone in there and all that kind of stuff. He says, I laugh when people rumour me with Live Golf. I never liked the format. Always have a good time with Phil Mickelson, Sergio in the practice rounds of majors. Phil respects my decision and I respect his choice. He told me, Mickelson that is, that I have no reason to go play for Live and he's told me that multiple times. So that's sort of all going on in the background, getting absolutely swamped by the numbers and the groundswell of social media reports that it's getting closer and closer and all the other stuff that's going on around the uh, world of golf at the moment that I told you about. If you missed it earlier, Australia through to the semi-finals now of the Davis Cup tie, defeating the Czech Republic this morning 2-1. It was a good win by the Aussies and a fight-back win too because Jordan Thompson dropped the first of the matches. He went out in straight sets. So the two singles matches, Jordan Thompson goes down and then Alex Dimonor comes out against Yuri Lehechka and wins in three sets. And then Matty Ebden and Max Purcell did the job in the doubles. So in they go, and they will face Finland in the semifinals, who upset Canada 2-1 as well. So then we've got, in the other half of the draw, Italy v Netherlands and Serbia v Great Britain. So I like this format of Davis Cup over there, the way that it rolls out and continues to just happen quickly. They just keep on pumping. So it's not drawn out, this final eight stage. So our opponents in the semi-finals will be Finland. And then, depending on who makes it through, you would have to say Australia start raging favourites against the Finnish to go through to the Davis Cup final, where there are still four contenders on the other side of the draw. And you would have to think that Serbia would be top of that list at the moment. So that's how it's playing out there. We'll hear a little bit later on this morning from the main players from the Australian side, including, of course, Captain Leighton Hewitt, who must have been absolutely pumped. He's got somebody like Alex Dimonor and then the doubles pairing that he's got there to send on out. And it would have been backs against the wall talk 100% from Leighton. We're in this fight. Let's get ourselves out. He loves a fight, Leighton. And he loves it when he's got fighters in his corner. Don't forget our last listener standing quiz. So we've got about nine minutes to go until we get to the news. As soon as you hear the 10 o'clock news, give me a call this morning on one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 You'll need to know some cricket knowledge, but it's all about on this day, November 23rd. Um, the birthday of Mervyn Hughes today. He'll feature... I'll just give you a heads up there. Shane Gould's birthday today. Our great Olympian, three gold medals at the Munich Games. So there's an Olympic twist in this. Some more cricket as well. And if you were joining us yesterday, some of the names that we were throwing out yesterday as part of our all-time Good Time 11 will play a part in that. And Formula One too. I mentioned that 
it's been revealed that Lewis Hamilton, uh, Lewis Hamilton rather, knocked on the door of Red Bull earlier this year. Well, there'll be a Formula One question in there. We've got a golf box prize pack to give away, a Signet Boost power bank as well. It's always really good fun on a Thursday morning. So you've got to be in that to win that. And we'll be chatting with Blake Solly this morning from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So a very big lineup. Still a long way to go on this program on this Thursday morning and a lot of sport for us to follow that's continually happening this morning right around Australia and the world. You'll hear it right here first. Back after this break. Welcome back. 26 minutes after 10 for my Sydney listeners. 26 after 9 in Queensland. I'll give you a golf update in just a sec, but always we go to your calls when you jump on the open line. Kane's listening in South Perth, so a few hours behind us. Good morning, Kane. Hey, mate. How you going, mate? Good, thanks, mate. You want to talk about uh, some rugby league? All what right. do you make of this, this West Tigers? It seems to me as though there's... There's sort of a gathering of momentum behind this story around Jerome Luai. Yes, oh, I hope we do get him, but um, I don't think he'll come. I think the money will just go up for him and Penrith will sort of raise it a little bit more for him and he'll stay there. The money's interesting, Kane. This is this is an interesting part of me, and, and I always preface these conversations like... <laughs> As if we know, you know, we only know what we kind of are told. So you and I aren't in the room, so we we have to presume, right? But the money's interesting because clearly Penrith, if I'm if I'm right with my memory, Penrith started around, I think they got towards like seven hundred thousand dollars or something like that, and then they they've maxed out at about eight hundred and fifty. So it's it's of my thinking that if they can't match money wise, or if it's a money deal, the Panthers won't be won't be in it. So I don't think Penrith have 1.1 to spend at all in this situation, which means that that's certainly got to put the Tigers in the box seat, hasn't it? It does, but then also, too, you've got the Dragons as well. I mean, even though that hasn't come out, but I reckon the Dragons could even try and get him as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, or even the Dogs. I mean, he was with Phil Gould ages ago, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one. So you're obviously I mean, a Tigers supporter. So would would you be? Let, you'd obviously be happy if Jerome Luai ends up at the Tigers. But then there's the reports that you'd have to move on, or they're saying that reportedly David Clemmer could be moved on to open up some salary cap space. Now that's nothing new either, Kane. But would you be okay if that's the way that it panned out to get Jerome Luai? If you had to offload someone to do it? Oh. David Clemmer, I'm a big fan of David Clemmer. Um, yeah, he's a massive impact on the on the field. Um, he lead, he makes the Tigers go forward straight away. I mean, we're keeping um, oh, uh, what's his name? I can't think of it. Alex Twell. Alex Twell's yeah. another one. Like I was upset that we're almost going to lose him. Um, I mean, we've got so many young people coming through. You'd have to lose someone, but I'd hate to pick. I really don't want to pick. <laughs> Yeah, that's why you've got that's why you got footy departments, mate. It's going to be hot your way. It's going to be forty degrees today. I got realised over in WA, so um, you're in South Perth, aren't you? So it's going to be forty degrees in Perth today, mate. Get that aircon cranked up. Yeah, yes, aircon cranked up. Uh, got to forty one in Jarrodale yesterday, where I am. Ooh. Oh, you're a Jarrodale. Uh, oh, straight to the man. pool, straight after work. 
<laughs> All right. Well, good. Yeah. Hey, thanks for tuning in, mate, and have a great day. Stay stay cool and calm, and let's see where your Tigers end up with Jerome Luai. But, again, if you start to join the dots, I mean, I made fun of the fact that the emoji was the story yesterday, but, and I, but I also said um, not taking the mickey out of it because, <laughs> weirdly enough, in the world that we live in, there's often some truth behind all that kind of stuff. But now the steam's coming out of the, the freight train a little bit more. Just on the weather, I got a, a text heads up from uh, Hillstorm Hillary again, which I'll get to after the news about Adelaide and playing into the supercars as well. So boiling hot over in Perth, a little bit of a different story in Adelaide at the moment. Let's do the news. We'll be straight back after that with your text calls and a golf update as well. Thank you, Vanessa. Don't forget Flight Centre's big red sales on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. You can book now to say big. Flight Centre's big red sale. Um, right, let's update the Australian PGA Championship and have a listen to the main players there uh, at Royal Queensland. So Adam Scott has now just dropped off the lead in the last few minutes or so. He's down to minus three. He's only one shot off the lead, but we've got a four-way tie for first at the moment. And it's Elvis Smiley, who's just been sensational today, one of the early ones out, uh, started on the front nine. Elvis, he had two birdies to start with. Not bad. First and second, just went birdie, birdie, and then parred the whole way home. Then he gets to the 10th and goes par, then went birdie, birdie, and has now parred the 13th. So he's at minus four bogey-free rounds so far. Minwoo Lee's at four under two. Um, he started on the back nine. He's had one bogey along the way. Jochen Neiman, the international player in the field, has now got himself to minus four as well. He's had one bogey and the five birdies. John Lyris, who's playing the back nine, started with a bogey and then has knocked in. Well, he, he birdied the 11th, parred the 12th, then has gone Birdie, 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 par. Up to the 17th hole. So he's playing the 18th as we speak. And Adam Scott there at minus three. So that's the situation at the uh, Australian PGA Championship at the moment. And again, I'll have to play a bit of uh, internet savviness here to try and find where Cameron Smith is. Unless, Maestro, you can beat me to that. Because... The other page that I've got open on my computer at the moment is the weather around Adelaide and South Australia at the moment. So we've got the Supercars uh, 500 this weekend on the streets of Adelaide. I've been there where there's been some stupid weather. It gets boiling hot and then it rains like crazy. And if you look at the radar, and thanks for the heads up, Hillary, <laughs> it is just a blanket of blue, green and yellow blobs that is all the way across Adelaide at the moment. So absolutely bucketing down. We'll actually speak to Ben Riggs a little bit later on from Ponting Wines. He's in that part of the world. So Cam Smith is back to even par through 13th. He's in a tie for 31 at the moment, the defending Australian PGA champion. Already 29 degrees in the west where Paramat is from. Thank you for that, Paramat. My read on Jerome Luai is that he wants to be the man says crime scene. He won't get to be this at Penrith. Well, that's been floated in the stories this morning that the one of the parts of the bid, if you like, from the West Tigers is that you get to be the playmaker. So we, we don't know what Jerome Luai is thinking in terms of 
you know, what's what's the most important part here? What's the list of priorities? Is it stay where you are with the teammates, obviously, that you're very familiar with and have had amazing success with and more than likely will continue for the foreseeable future? Do you move on? And remember, this is down the road here, this deal. Do you move on? And what does that move look like? Well, in terms of money, the move will equal more. And it's a lot of money. I mean, if Penrith are at 850 and the Tigers are at 1.1, that's a lot of difference per year. So we don't know until we know what the priorities are for Jerome Luai, then we won't really know which way he's going to go. In fact, we probably won't know until we <laughs> until the deal's done, but there's certainly some movement at the station, so to speak. Uh, there was a text here regarding Formula One off the back of our question about um, Jensen Button. And it was around about the Braun GP racing team. I'll just try and find it in the midst of all of the texts here about when Jensen won, essentially it was, you know, a privateer setup. How how could that happen? I think it was from Matt. Sorry, Matt, I can't find it, but I did read your text message there. It, it kind of was and it kind of wasn't because you might remember that in 2008, Ross Braun did a deal to take over the Honda racing team in 2009. So, yes, it was a, a sort of privateer in inverted commas set up, the Braun GP Formula One team, as it was officially known, but they had Honda's backing to the tune of $100 million for 09 anyway, and they also had the existing relationship with Mercedes as an engine supplier. So it wasn't as though they just sort of dusted off and started again as a privateer mob out the back in their own little garage. It paid dividends straight away. They got pole position, if I remember rightly, at the Australian Grand Prix um, and won that race. So it was Button and Rubens Barrichello in 2009, but the development had already started in 08. The money was still there from Honda, who pulled out because of the global financial crisis, and the engines were still there from Mercedes at the time. So that's how it all played out there. Thanks for that, Matt. Good morning, Matt, says Cameron from Borkham Hills. I wanted to relay how much I enjoy the show. Thanks, mate. Uh, I'm laid up with multiple lumbar hernias or and collapsed discs. Ouch. And the mornings are all better with the show. Well, that's good to hear. Hopefully um, we can give you a smile along the way in your mornings, mate, and keep you occupied. I still watch the Marcus Ambrose shootout lap you called back in the Ford days. I bought one of the AU XR8s and I still own from that era. Wow. That's a good one. That was a good era, mate, an absolutely terrific era, and it was a lot of fun to call that along the way. And when Marcus was in town, it was always a good show, and it was great to see him continue on with his career and then return back to Australia. He continues to put in too, Cameron. I'm sure you're aware, but um, he's got his base down there in Tasmania, and he's on the tools. And and the other thing is that for Marcus Ambrose fans, he's become a daddy racer. Um, his daughters are involved in motorsport now. And, you know, we're having a chat. We worked together earlier this year and he said, mate, I'm now one of those guys. The Hyundai series was racing. There was 60 cars out there. And he's like, I'm one of them now. You know, I'm getting my kids involved in this. They want to do it. And now he's scampering around pit lane trying to figure out where he can get this part and that part and how he can get as many sponsors as he can along the way. So, Good memories from back then, Cameron. I hope you're okay, mate. Just rest up and 
Let's see if we can get you back on track, but it's good to know that you're enjoying the program. So a couple of thoughts just around the golf as they headed into round one of the Australian PGA. And a lot of talk, obviously, about live, about the party hole up there, and the Olympics as well. So let's hear about that, because it's not something you often think about in the world of golf at the moment. Making and qualifying for the Australian Olympic team. Cam Smith had his say when he was um, asked about the opportunities on how to qualify for the Australian Olympic team before he teed off. I, I don't know. I mean, I know the criteria. I don't know if that can change. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got these couple of events here and uh, probably, you know, four more looks again in the majors. So hopefully you can keep that ranking up and, um, you know, wear the coat of arms on the chest again. It's pretty special. Because absolutely loves representing his country. And that's the interesting thing for Cam Smith, that the majors are still there for him because he's got exemptions all the way through. So the points are still there. Not so in live. Here's what Min Woo Lee had to say about the Olympic prospect. That's another goal of mine. Um, I feel like I'm pretty close uh, up there. So I, I, need, I definitely need a good year. Uh, those guys are... The guys in front of me are having a really good, really good last year, and um, they're probably going to keep going this year. So uh, I need to show up. Yeah, so it's just another part of that sort of uh, that twist in the tail of golf at the moment. So much going on, and when it returned to the Olympics, it just added a different dimension to the sport as well. Adam Scott, as we know, has been in very good form early this morning. The Royal Queensland course is something and somewhere that he knows very, very well and references that quite often. Um, spent plenty of times there, uh, plenty of time there as a young bloke coming through the system, honing his craft. So always good to be back home. Here's what Adam Scott had to say about the nature of Royal Queensland, the challenging nature of the course. Hopefully the forecast is kind of clearing and we're not going to get dumped on um, and that, that will make it challenging because some good shots are going to roll off. Uh, that the difficulty here is the greens. Ha ha, the old greens. <laughs> Get you every time. I saw him doing some work in the bunkers, actually, and getting some help along the way. In terms of Olympic team qualifying positions, Cam Smith is first on that qualifying list as it stands right now. Jason Day, Cam Davis, and Min Woo Lee. One, two, three, and Four. Score update before we go to the break. Still a four-way tie for first at minus four at the Australian PGA. Elvis Smiley, Minwoo Lee, Jochen Neiman and John Lyris there at four under the card. Adam Scott at three under. We're back after this break right here on SEN. Blake Solly from the South Sydney Rabbitohs will be my guest in our next hour. We will also talk wine as we do on a Thursday morning. So there's a mix of everything on a Thursday. The last listener standing quiz. Um, we've already done that one. We talk wine thanks to Ponting Wines, as in Ricky Ponting's Wines. Pontingwines.com.au is where you need to go to. And Ben normally throws up something um, a little bit different for us. And we sort of chat through a, a nice bottle of something or other. So just enough to pause. Cameron's come back and said, thanks, Maddie. Uh, this is Cameron who's laid up with a bad back surgery in four months. Good luck, mate. Go go get him. Just get through it. I, I had a bad back for 11 months, and thankfully I didn't have to go your way, but I did everything to try and get it right. Um, about the only thing that I didn't do was, remember the old those old boots that they used to have, those um, gravity 
you know, boots that went around. <laughs> Alex, you won't remember this because they came out. You weren't even born. Um, but it was that, that whole inverse thing, you know, and everyone would be hanging upside down like bats around their house. You put a pair of boots on and a, a pole across the door frame and swing upside down. I never did that. Although I did have one of the supercars drivers who had a bad back say to me, he, he found a pair of those old boots and used them. And he felt guilty because <laughs> he came and said to me, I feel really bad. That's what I've done. I said, does it work? And he goes, yep. I said, well, mate, I'm no doctor, but hey, all I knew was that certain things work for me. So Cam, um, there's plenty of people who have been in your position, mate. So we're with you on that one because it sucks having a bad back. There's just no two ways about it. But um, good luck with the surgery. Keep us posted on that one. Matty, on the text line. So let's get through some texts over the next few minutes, or you can give me a call. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Dragon Boy says uh, the Dragons have publicly advised they're not interested in Luai, and inverted in commas says, or in brackets says, thankfully, says the Dragon Boy. Hey, anything's a possibility. Not signed anywhere yet. Rugby league's rugby league. Matt, in any future series that we have in India, Travis Head has to be the first player picked. He's going to be one of the best Australian batsmen to handle the Indian conditions, says the Spring Farm Eagle. You're probably right, mate. You're not going to find any argument on me from me on that case. Aside from Spring Farm Eagle, I don't know how much attention you pay to social media. Um, I use it mostly to just to get my news Really, that's where I find a lot of sort of immediate news. If you've seen the photos of Travis Head over the last couple of days, might be pretty hard to pick him anywhere at the moment. <laughs> he is setting records here um, in the celebration department. So I'm assuming that he's got some sleep or he's just collapsed somewhere. But he's he's certainly enjoying it. Uh, the Reptile, the Tigers' Luai bid reeks of pure desperation. Just look how Shane Flanagan's running the Dragons. Won't overpay for players and said this year um, he wants the Dragons to be a place that players want to come to. I don't think it reeks of pure desperation at all, Reptile. I think that they've got to be in the mix, don't they? I mean, if you're in charge of a club, and especially a club that hasn't had the success at all that the West Tigers have had, and if you're Benji Marshall and somebody like Jerome Luai's coming onto the market, which he is, then that's not desperation at all. That's just professionalism. That just makes sense. That's just doing your job. Now, whether or not you get him is a different thing. And how you want to run your club is how you want to run it, not how somebody else might say they want to run their club. So I don't think there's any pure desperation at all. Explain to me what pure desperation is. You think it's the money or whatever. But if they're interested in Jerome Luai, and they've got the money to pay for it, and they know that they're going to have to spend, then why wouldn't you go for him? Why not? And certainly ask the question. Because the last thing you want to do is front up to the board or the retention committee or the signing committee or whatever committee it is and have to answer the question, well, why did Jerome Lewis sign there? Did we have a crack at him? No, no, no. We just thought we'd hold off and wait and see. Of course you've got to be in it. So I, I don't see any desperation there at all. I see more of those kind of headlines yesterday uh, that we saw this morning coming out. 
as in what are they got to do to get him? And they'll get to a point where they'll have to stop or they'll dig a little bit deeper. But, yeah, if you think it's desperate, let me know. Crime Scene says, Phil Mickelson's willingness to go there with regards to the reporter makes me like him more. Yeah, he slapped down the reporter. He's got a bit of a history with this guy, but he slapped him down for saying that Phil was saying to people that John Rahm was going to live and the deal was done. And Mickelson used social media to say it's absolute lies. Uh, And he didn't miss old mate, the reporter, either. But that's been Phil Mickelson's way throughout this whole thing. <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't missed. For good or bad, he certainly hasn't missed. Six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Back after this break on SEN. Here we go, our final hour of the program this morning on this Thursday morning. Thanks for sticking with us. Hope you're enjoying it. We're having some good fun this morning on the program. one 1170 is the open line number. Or 0457-736-736 is our text line number. Blake Solly will be joining me in about 10 minutes' time. So I've got some of your questions on the text line for Blake. Um, of course, they have lost a club legend out there at the Rabbitohs this morning. Um, Paul Sade has passed away at the age of 76. Jack Whiten has turned up to training, of course, spent his first week at the club, and Las Vegas is not too far away. So a little bit to chat with um, Blake Solly about in Rugby League. Where are we at in the Australian PGA? Round one at Royal Queensland. Still Minwoo Lee, the leader at five under. So he's one clear of four players at four under, including Elvis Smiley, who's been there from the word go. And he's yet to post a bogey. So Smiley has the 16th, 17th and 18th to play. He's had two birdies on the front nine, two birdies on the back nine and no bogeys along the way. And quite obviously, given the position that he's in, is the only one at the moment right up the top, bogey free. Jordan Zunich down in 10th, equal 10th spot at minus two. Also got off to a good start with back-to-back birdies. It appears as though the first and the second holes are definitely birdieable. Both par fours. And almost every single player in the top, say, 20 has birdied one, if not both of them. So a pretty good way to start your round if you're starting on the front nine. So Minwoo Lee, Lee, the leader there, at five under. And Cameron Smith is currently par through 14 holes in a tie for 31st. As I mentioned, we'll be hearing from the CEO from the Bunnies. But what about the coach? And what about Jack Whiten settling in at South's position? And where, where do they play him? Here's Jason Demetrio speaking to Channel 9 last night. Brings real energy to the place. Um, brings real physical presence as well. You don't realise how big he is until you're up close with him. But um, and in excitement, he's really excited to be here. He's, he's come here for a reason. In his first couple of days, he spoke about being nervous, you know, which is always a good sign for someone who's experienced. He is still... Still excited, still nervous to get in and prove himself. And uh, like I said, I'm stoked he's here. Probably at a stage of his career where a new start's going to be good for him. Um, he's been a one-club player and served Canberra well for many years. So it's exciting having him here with us. You know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? He's you know he's been in a, in a comfortable position where he's been in for the last few years and been one of the most elite players in at Canberra. And a lot of the success has come off the back of Jack. I think he's a centre. He's a six. Play one for us. You know, you can. <laughs> I think he played the forwards last year as well, didn't he? But uh, look, you know, I'm not going to pigeonhole him yet. 
if I'm a South Sydney supporter, the part that I hear in the middle of all of that, because um, Jason Demetrio is not going to give away where he's where he's going to play, he sort of covered a whole, or he covered most of the back line and the forwards there. But the part that I hear in there that I'd be liking is that Jack Whiten turns up and he's nervous. Now you can look at that two ways, but you're talking about somebody who's played more than 240 games in the NRL. He's represented, of course, at the highest level. He's at a new club with a new chapter, a Clive Churchill medalist. I mean, he's done the lot, this bloke. And here he is admitting that he's nervous or they can see that he's nervous. That's got to be good if you're a South Sydney fan or if you're Jason Demetrio. So that's kind of the stuff that you'd want to hear, wouldn't you? Or do you take it the other way? If it's me, I'm looking at him going, if he's, if he's nervous, it means it means something to him. And at this stage of your career, if you still have the opportunity to get those nerves running through your system, then surely you're ready to ready to step it up and looking around in the environment that he's in as well. On the text line, Tiger Dave says, my thoughts on the Tigers signing Luai will happen. The fact his ego won't like the Cleary comments, which pretty much dared him to leave Penrith, and low ball they offered won't sit with him. I think he's the type of bloke who will follow through on a threat, especially if it sets up his family for life. Take it easy, Matty, and have a good one. Yeah, I mean, is it a threat? Is it following through on a threat, or is it just going where he wants to go for what is going to be more money, it sounds like, wherever he goes. Crime Scene says, I disagree with the reptile and feel that Jerome Luai is being disrespected by some of these views. Well, Crime Scene said that, uh, sorry, Reptile was saying that it was reeks of desperation by the West Tigers. So putting it on the Tigers in that scenario. On the phone this morning right here on the morning's program, Blake Solly from the South Sydney Rabbitohs joins us, the CEO. Always great with his time. Good morning to you, Blake. Good morning, Matthew. Thanks for having me on the show. No, thanks for your time, mate. Unfortunately, however, we'll, we'll start with the sad news, which I brought to our listeners earlier this morning. You've lost a club legend this morning, so there must be a lot of reflection going on at the Bunnies this morning. Yeah, it is. Um, always sad to lose uh, any of our club legends, and, and Paul was right up there with the best of them. Um, he battled a long illness for some time, and um, uh, sad to see and hear the news of his passing this morning, but He'll be remembered as one of our greats, um, two premierships, three grand finals, 165 first-grade games, and um, in our dream team um, in the centre. So just a legend of the club, um, renowned not only for what he did on the field, but uh, what a person he was off it and um, was made a life member of our club in, in 1991. So in some ways, he just paid the ultimate tribute then and um, will reflect on a life well-lived, but a great career here at the club too. Absolutely. And like you say, a member of that dream team, a heck of a heck of a team to try and pick. It was done back in 2004 and going all the way back to 1908. So, yes, our sympathies and condolences to the, the broader South Sydney family on, on that news this morning, Blake. Um, we wanted to pick your brains on a couple of things this morning around, obviously, where you're at uh, heading into the new season with the Las Vegas logistics as well. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that. But can I start with Jack White? And I just played Jason Demetrio's comments from last night on the news and I was just reflecting on what I heard there. If I was a Bunnies fan, I'd like the fact that Jack turns up and he's a little bit nervous given what he's achieved at the game because it shows that this this move means something to him. So what's it been like to have him around the club? 
Oh, it's been great. He's um, yeah, I think he was a bit nervous uh, speaking to him um, on his move up here over the weekend. He was more worried about the fact that some of the younger players had, had two weeks of the preseason before he'd even started. So he was nervous about um, being schooled by some of the young guys because they've had that head start. But um, he won our 1.2 kilometre challenge on Monday on his first day here. So he's a hell of an athlete and a great player with a great attitude. He came and introduced himself to every staff member on Tuesday. So. Um, he's not only a great player on the field, but he's a good person off it. So we're really glad to have him. Um, he had a great career in Canberra, and, and I think um, we were just very fortunate that um, he felt it was time to, to challenge himself outside of that Canberra system, and we were lucky enough to sign him. Players always come and go at clubs, don't they? Sometimes you get players that are there the whole way through, and sometimes they're in transition along the way. And then you get players like this, Blake, that that want to make a move at this stage of their career. So outside of the footy field and the impact on those youngsters that he's now looking at going, oh, hang on a second, they've got a couple of weeks on me. But what else are you hoping that Jack Whiten can bring to the Bunnies? I think he'll bring um, a real competitive streak. You see him in every game he plays. Um, he's full throttle. Um, he's got a real appetite to win. So um, he'll bring that competitive nature to the team, which is great. He's got a huge big game experience. I mean, there's not many players in the game who've won Clive Churchill, Dally M, represented their country, yeah. won World Cups and played State of Origin. So he's played at the highest level often and succeeded and, and been outstanding. So he'll bring that um, big game experience um, to us as well. And then um, he's a proud um, Aboriginal man as well. And, and um, our club, I think, stands um, with the Indigenous community on almost every issue. So he'll, he'll bring um, some of that great cultural awareness um, to our club and hopefully we can we can help him too. Absolutely. Well, um, we'll watch this space, but yeah, it must be exciting times to have the have the season and, and everything that's about to happen, of course, in 2024. I've got, as soon as I said, Blake, and you, you'd know this very well, because as soon as I said that you were coming on the program, we've got plenty of texts coming through. Can you ask Blake this? Can you ask Blake that? Just one thing around the stadium situation that you've got. So you guys have made it clear. Your position has been very, very clear around a core stadium. You want either investment there or you want to get back to Allianz Stadium, but it's a long-term deal that you've got out at a core. Where's that at the at the moment? Uh, yeah, not much has moved. Um, we've made our position really clear to venues New South Wales and um, they've been listening, David, the chair, and, and Kerry. They, they understand our position. I think they want to understand what the state government's views on a core stadium are. Um, it's a great stadium, but it's starting to um, potentially fall behind the facilities that other people experience at places like Combank or Allianz or outside the state. So um, the government's got a decision to make on what it wants a core stadium to be. Um, We've been pretty patient. The government, um, or various governments over the last 10 or 12 years have had four or five different iterations of a stadium strategy or a stadium policy mm. for Sydney. And we've been very patient in waiting for the outcome. And, and I think on behalf of our members and our fans and our, our corporate partners, it's just time for the government to commit to a plan on a core. And if there's no money for investment, that's fair enough. We understand that. But then they've got to honour um, their moral commitment to us, which is, we signed a long-term lease based on that stadium being fully refurbished. It hasn't been. What we're asking you to do is if you're not going to invest in the stadium, we shouldn't have to either, um, and we should be able to choose where we want to play. Are there any triggers? I don't know how much confidential information you can give out about an agreement that you've got until 2030, but do you have any any legal triggers that would allow you to move on outside of the moral triggers that you'd be seeking? 
we, we don't really have any legal triggers and we'd prefer not to go down a legal pathway anyway. That's not mm. how we want to work. We want to work in um, collaboration and consultation with the government and venues New South Wales. That's, that's the best result for everyone, I think. Um, we've always been of the view um, with the NRL, with the venues, that the best thing for rugby league is to have the best games in the right place on the right day. Um, and it shouldn't be a matter of contracts. It should just be a matter of common sense that um, the best you want the clubs playing in the best stadiums, um, which will draw the best attendances on the right day and at the right time. So um, for us, it's not really a legal issue. It's more a um, moral and, and, and also just a common sense issue. Let's get a club playing in a stadium that it wants to be at or in the alternative, let's invest in a core and make sure that it continues to drag fans in large numbers to games for the Rabbitohs and the Bulldogs. Another question from our listeners, mate, Adam Fanua Blake. He is obviously a hot topic of conversation, well, within the next year. We know that he's going to stay where he is. Any interest in the Bunnies there? Any thought process? Oh, oh he's a wonderful player, no doubt about that. Um, and with the South Junior, he played um, a lot of his junior footy at Mascot. But um, we've committed to a number of our current squad long term, so um, our salary cap wouldn't have the room in it for Adam. Um, you know, we've just re-extended Campbell, Cameron, um, Jai Arrow, Keon Kolomitangi, Junior Totola this year. So we're really happy with the squad that we've got at the moment. Um, we believe that this is a squad that can win us a premiership. Um, so unfortunately, as much as uh, everyone is interested in that, in particular the Sydney clubs, because that's where he's got to come back to, we won't have the cap room to make a move. All right. Now, the nitty-gritty of Las Vegas, which is kind of fascinating, and I'd like yeah. to know what it's, what it's been like from your position at, at your desk. It's actually 100 days uh, from now until where it'll be the 2nd of March over there, the 3rd of March back here. So the, the clock is ticking. You guys will start the season at Allegiant Stadium against Manly. Your Manly counterparts have been over there doing a bit of a recce mission. So logistically, how have you guys pieced this together and how much of a, I don't know, a headache has it posed or a, a massive challenge has it posed to go and play a, an opening game over there? Uh, it's been a challenge, but I think it's also an exciting challenge. Um, one of the great things about the idea is to put everyone probably outside their comfort zone and hopefully contribute to growing the sport in a market that could potentially be very lucrative for, for the game. So um, when we were selected to be one of the teams, we went in eyes wide open about the challenges. And really, it's been um, our football department who's been excellent in, in getting their heads around where we want to train and what days we want to fly out there and then um, logistics for Vegas. So um, Brock Schaefer, our chief operating officer, uh, is heading over there tomorrow, I think, with some NRL staff and um, some guys from the Roosters to have a look at um, our training venue in San Diego and then um, the operation on the ground uh, in Vegas, including Allegiant Stadium. So that will help, um, I suppose, finalise the work that's been done from afar to date. So we'll be going to San Diego having our training camp there uh, and then heading over to Las Vegas the Wednesday before the game for a couple of training sessions and then the game on the Saturday. Yeah, outside of the game, because it's, there's two points on the line, what, what do you reckon is the main priority? Is it getting the travel right? Is it the training venue right? Is it sorting out you know, things that, that you don't have to deal with, such as jet lag and all that kind of stuff? Is, have you got a little list of priorities there? Yeah, it's it's getting the um, travel right and minimising the impact of things like jet lag and um, a fairly long flight, um, making sure that there's plenty of time on the ground before um, the players start training just to get acclimatised and then making sure that the training runs as smoothly as possible, that it reflects 
what our training will be like in the lead up to round one here if we were playing in Sydney or Brisbane or something like that. Uh, and then just making the logistics of it as smooth as possible that everything works as close to clockwork as we can, that the travel between the hotels to the training grounds is, is as, is as um, short or as small as it possibly can be, that um, the food and the hotels work um, as they would if we were travelling to Brisbane or Townsville or Melbourne for a game against another NRL team. So just to try and make it um, as much as we can like business as usual while we're in the States, but also recognising that um, it's an opportunity to sell our sport to a whole new fan base. So um, there'll be some promotion and there'll be some things that are a little bit different, but if we can keep the things that we can control as normal as possible and then um, make the most of those opportunities that this game and the NRL will provide. And then how much thought, I'm sure there's been a lot, but how much thought has gone into round two? Because you come straight back essentially and you've got the first game, which is the Thursday night game, the 14th of March. So you play the opener on the 3rd of March and then the, your second game will be against the Broncos. Will you guys be coming back through Sydney? Have you discussed that or are you just you're going to try and go straight to Brisbane and eliminate a, a leg along the way? No, we'll, we'll come straight back to Sydney. Um, one of the great things about the new centre here is um, the gym, the field, the recovery units are all in one place. So rather than stay on the road, and I suspect the players will be pretty keen to see their families as well. So we want to get them back to Sydney as quick as we can and stay in Sydney for as long as we can. So we'll only travel up to Brisbane on the Wednesday um, after our captain's run here before the Thursday game. So really for us, it's getting back to Sydney, spending as much time in Sydney before we travel to Brisbane and then um, from there on, we don't have a huge amount of travel. We're back in Sydney, home and away for most of the next um, eight or nine weeks. Yeah, good uh, good puzzle to have, isn't it? It's exciting times for rugby league. Appreciate your time this morning, mate. I know we covered a, a whole range of issues there, so I really thank you for it and uh, look forward to chatting again probably this time next season once you get back into the swing of things and get over to Vegas. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Matthew. Great to be on the show. Blake Solly joining us there from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. 0457 736 736. Our thanks to the CEO's time for that one. 1300 01 1170 is the open line number. It's 21 minutes after 11 in Sydney, 21 past 10 in Queensland. I might have put the old mocker on uh, Elvis Smiley at the Australian PGA, so I was... <laughs> Last update, I was telling you about how he's had a bogey-free round. Well, he's now bogeyed the 16th. So just the one bogey. I mean, it's a heck of a round that he's putting together. Four birdies and the one bogey so far. That means that Elvis Miley's in a tie for sixth as this leaderboard continues to change. He's dropped down to three under. Minwoo Lee is now the leader or is leading at five under. Adam Scott's moved back up to four under with Connor Syme, Jochen Neiman, uh, John Lyris there. So we've got four players at four under. Minwoo Lee leading at five under. And Smiley dropping back to three under the card. Cameron Smith still par. Uh, as he continues on his way throughout his first round. So at least 14 holes done then. For Cam Smith, the defending champion. We'll be chatting uh, with Ben Riggs from Ponting Wines as we do on a Thursday morning. Bit of an unknown this morning. Normally we get a bit of a heads up as to which way we're going. Shiraz here or Chardonnay there or a bit of Sauvignon Blanc. So we'll have to see what Ben's got in store for us. Um, but pontingwines.com.au is the place to go. What did you make of all that with uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs CEO? So n- nothing legally around the core Allianz Stadium system 
or situation, I should say, that they've got. And quite a few texters had sent some messages in saying, can you please ask Blake about that? So the agreement with core Stadium runs until the end of 2030. And I totally agree with Blake on that one. I mean, there's a moral investment, essentially, that they've made to sign long-term on the understanding that the place would be refurbished. Now, you're in the hands of governments with that, as we well know. And the money has gone towards Allianz Stadium. Even the Prime Minister, of course, a South Sydney Rabbitohs fan, said, I do think that Souths should be playing at the new taxpayer-funded stadium, Allianz. That would be a good thing. But if anyone knows the situation here about how politics and all of that comes into it, then Anthony Albanese does. So legally, there won't be anything, it appears, as though they can do, but you imagine that push would come to shove. And it's old and tired. And a lot of people would say, well, why have that as a home base? That's the deal that they're locked into at the moment. 0457 736 736. On the Jerome Luai situation, which we don't know where that one's going to end, Adam on the Gold Coast says, I think Benji sees himself in Jerome Luai's. He's a backyard, think-on-your-feet kind of player. I've never been a fan of Luai, but as a sports person, I think it would be a great move for him to test himself as he's been in a solid system for so long. Every competitive sports mind wants to prove him or herself at some point, and this is his chance, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps that's part of it. So much goes into making a big decision like that. And we'll never know what sits at the top of that list of decision-making because we're not the ones making the decision. So we do know that there's money as a factor. There's exactly what you're saying there. There's that competitive sports mind that perhaps wants to have a crack at something else there. Might be the greenest grass are on the other side. Greenest grass. The grass is greener on the other side. Could be all of that or none of the above. We don't know. One of the great mysteries. Time for the news. Let's go to the SEN newsroom with Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. 0457 736 736. Rob in Blacktown takes this view on the Jerome Luai situation. Might sound like a bit of fence sitting, but really, until we're all faced with making a choice when it comes to huge money or staying with the Panthers and possibly winning more titles, we can't really criticise. I totally agree. It's easy to sit in the background and critique when we actually don't have the pressure of having to make that decision ourselves. It's his decision, and he needs to live and die by the sword. That one from Robin Blacktown, yeah. And I think a lot of people think that too. I mean, you know, we have our opinions, and opinions can sometimes be critical or sometimes they're just opinions. And a lot of people sort of look at it and go, well, I'd take the money, or I wouldn't go there, or I would stay here. But you are 100% right. It is totally going to be his decision, and that's it. Uh, Thank you for that. Rob, appreciate it. This one from Simon. I caught the tail end of Fox Sports News, but David Beckham was talking about himself getting involved in a doco about Ronnie O'Sullivan and goes on to say how he and a few of the boys often went down the snooker hall after Manchester United trained. Love watching snooker and Ronnie O'Sullivan. Can't wait. Okay. I haven't seen that one at all. We were only talking about the Beckham Netflix the other night. In fact, in our household, we've seen the whole lot of it. Uh, and it came about through the succession connection. The bloke in succession ends up being the guy that's asking the questions. You don't see him, 
but he's the one that sort of guides David Beckham around the doco itself. Uh, but I haven't seen anything about this one and David Beckham and the snooker connection. But thank you for that, Simon. It was JFG on the text line who in particular wanted me to ask Blake Sully why they've been unsuccessful in securing Allianz Stadium for South Sydney. Um, JFG says, says, a cause not local and after 20 years surely is enough. Well, I hope you got your answer there, mate. Um, that's sort of the position that they're in. And I, I don't know how they're going to get out of that one. So not sure at all. Matty, I don't mean to be slack to David Clemmer, but I don't think there's an NRL club that will take him. I think his only option is English Super League. Not sure. Not sure. I don't, from what you read in the paper, it was through a third party, apparently, that the idea of him being floated around. And perhaps he didn't know about it, which would be the jarring part. Now, professional footy is professional footy, but still, when you get caught out by something like that, I don't care who you are, it, it slaps you in the face a little bit, depending on how much he knows or how much he doesn't know or how much truth's behind it. We, we just do not know. I need to listen to this because I haven't heard it yet, but Paddy and Heels this morning on SENQ, Brecky had a chat with Adam Reynolds, and the issue of personalised names and numbers on jerseys came up. So this is what... Adam Reynolds had to say to the fellas today. I think we keep the same numbers as we got. I'd like to see the names on the back of the jerseys. Mm-hmm. I think England do it fantastic. They all get a squad number at the start of the year, and that's their number through the whole year. Okay. Um, it gives fans, fans a chance to go out and purchase their favourite players' jerseys and um, you know have that connection with the player. I think at the moment we jerseys and they're pretty blank and uh, people go out and spend a bit of extra money to go and put the names and numbers on themselves. So, But if you happen to have oh. a game off, you for example, what what's next halfback wear, do you reckon? Do he gets a oh, squad yeah. number at the start of the year, does he? Yeah, a bit like England, they do it. So everyone's um, designated a, a number at the start of the year in the squad uh, based on purely what they think the team's going to be and how it's going to form. Some players come in late and get number you know, 38, for an example. Yes wear that for the year and um, I think it's a, it's a great thing obviously yeah. every year is a bit different and um, you never know what number you're going to get so you know I, I believe there is value in having names on the back of the jersey um, I've been a big fan of that obviously through watching representative football and um, hopefully it, it translates into the NRL So with you I'm so, what did we say yesterday I've never been a fan of the whole weird number thing you know, I don't. Want, I, I like this is personal, right? <laughs> I like to see my halfback wearing number seven. I don't know. I like to see my fullback wearing number one. Call me simple. So that's the way I like it to roll out. That's how my world operates, and that's what I like to see. I'm a huge fan of the names being on the back. So I, I totally concur with what. Adam Reynolds is saying there. I loved it how Heels pressed him. Okay, well, hang on a second. What happens when you're not there? Well, then the squad number comes in as well. So there is that. But first grade's first grade. And let's not mess around with those numbers. There used to be the the quirk there where a player would be coming back through the system, say from injury or whatever it was, and come through wearing jumper number 55 and play in first grade, and it was a regular first grader, and you'd, you'd have a look and go, wow. So there was that quirk. There'll always be quirks in the system. It's not going to be 
100% right. Um, but I just can't see why we need to mess around with the whole player thing and uh, with the whole number thing. And then they end up just getting their numbers and those numbers get retired and that all sounds great. When does it stop? <laughs> you know, we have a halfback running out there and jumping number 115. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So there'll be quirks. And the other part of that is, the other part of the quirks, so I'm just going to backtrack a little bit myself here because I'm with Reynolds, right? I think numbers stay, but put your name on the back. However... Think of that from a commercial sense. If you're putting Reynolds on the back, you are taking away real estate where the sponsor's name goes. And if you're taking away real estate where the sponsor's name goes, you're taking away the opportunity to have monetization off that part of the jumper. So you've got to have that commercial reality around it. And is there a spot for both? Yeah, there is. But that's pretty good real estate, right? So how do you juggle that one? There's another quirk in the system. So I, I guess along the way too that that's going to come into it. I mean, the NRL can't come across here and say, here's the edict. But, I mean, they could. Here's the edict that you all have to have name, names on the back of your jersey. And then if you're a club and if I'm the commercial director at a club and I say back to the NRL, well, what if I can get $200,000 for that? What if I can sell that part of the jersey um, because it's prime real estate? Personally, I'm with Reynolds. I'd like to see it. Professionally or commercially, I also see the, the downside of it. But numbers and names, stay with the numbers we got. Happy with that. No problems. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Greg has got a little bit more on that. G'day, Greg. What have you got in the number slash names department? Uh, g'day, Matty. Um, the whole numbering thing actually began in Australia back in 1911. Right. Players would go out there on the field elsewhere in the world, nothing, just a club jersey, no numbers on it. Rugby started it back in 1911. Football had it shortly after. The great Arsenal manager, uh, Herbert Chapman, was out here with the Touring England team in 1925, and he took the idea of numbered jerseys back to England in 1925. So it's something that he took back from here. Uh, nice. Back in the day, a goalkeeper's jersey wasn't numbered. The players were numbered 1 to 10, but they were the on-field players. So everything started here in Australia. Okay. I didn't know that. Thank you, mate. I, you, you often come up with some absolute doozies, and that's a beauty. So back to 1911, we go for that. All right. Yep. Just give me, your, give, give me your thoughts. I know you're heavily invested in football, but just in a rug, this is a rugby league discussion. We are you okay or what's your take on this? Would you rather see players stick with their positional numbers and have names on them? Or are you okay with numbers I'm that a, sort of... I'm a, are, mate, I'm a traditionalist. Okay. Give me give me 1 to 11, give me 1 to 13, give me 1 to 17, and your bench yep. players get the numbers beyond that. Yep, I'm with you. Good on you, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for the info too. I appreciate that. Uh, of course, the text messages... Just come rolling in. I mean, this discussion will just continue to go round and round. Remember front rowers being with their different numbers? Yes, um, numbers have changed along the way. Um, Matty, we don't play basketball or Aussie rules. Rugby league should just stay with the numbers just the way that they are. 
names to stay off jerseys. They're walking billboards as it is. A total eyesore for me compared to other sports. That one from Peaches. Leave jerseys as they are, but sell jerseys with the name and number on them, says Trotman. Okay, so you can play in just your number, but you can buy the number with the name. Will players have their names on their jerseys in Vegas for the US audience to tell the players apart? And why can't players have a set of jerseys and their numbers that get added as part of their team announcements? Matty, I think the best place for a name is in the middle, where they have the game number dates, etc., right on the middle of the chest. So that's on the front of the jumper, the Bill Bowery Bronco with that one. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, I, I like the one on the back. I just I like the way that it's going that way. Um, quick one from Dave from Woody Point. We've got time to take your call. Dave, yep. Go ahead, Dave. G'day. I'm just wondering, when they play with their headgear on, can a player get advertising on their headgear for his own benefit and make money? Uh, I'm not sure where the advertising thing... I, I, my initial thought is I don't think so because you don't see it, do you, Dave? So you don't see a lot of sponsorship, well, any sponsorship you, at all. Well, you see... No, but you could see advertising on the outside of his head, on his headgear, but mm. for his own benefit, not for the club. I'm talking about for his own benefit to earn extra money on top of what. You, know, like you might have a guy that's on only 150 or 200 thousand, but if yeah. he gets a sponsor, the sponsor he made with headgear, can he earn extra money? Is that is that allowable? Well, you can have those sponsorships, and you can also have those third-party arrangements. They have to be at arm's length, essentially, from the club itself, but you can't then bring that onto the field. So if I'm sponsored by Fred's Bakery, personally, I can get some money off him and I can go and wear a Fred's Bakery cap when I'm doing social media, but I can't run out onto the field with Fred's Bakery plastered all over my jersey because okay. that's where the that's that, that's the commercial agreement with the clubs and sponsors and that doesn't fall into the players. Good food for thought. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, mate. We've got to go to this break, but thanks for giving us a call. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. I'll update the golf for you after this. Welcome back. Let's get to your text messages. Actually, just before that, let's see what's happening at the golf. Six under now for Min Woo Lee. He leads by a shot from Adam Scott and Connor Syme at five under the card. So Scott has finished his round in the clubhouse at five under. Nice day's work for the former two-time Australian PGA champion. So I'm just going to take a look at how it all played out for Scotty in the end, hole by hole, um, while this thing reloads. Here we go. So remember, he started on the back nine, started with four straight birdies, then a bogey, and then went birdie, birdie, par birdie to finish off and then at the turn, birdied the first two and just had one bogey on the front nine. So in and out in 33 for a round of 66, which is five under par. And Minwoo Lee still has that final hole to complete. So he is currently leading at six under the card. Um, Elvis Smiley has maintained the pace at three under. So just that one birdie cost him in the end. And it was the birdie that came on the 16th hole, the par four. So he's finished with a round of 68. So too is Adrian Moronk and Cameron Davis as well. So those three all at three under the card and completed at 68. Jack Thompson finishing with a round of 69. He's in the clubhouse at minus two. Cameron Smith 
remains, last time I checked, at even par. And as I scroll on down, I'll see if I can find it. It's been very hard to find today, Cam Smith. Tied for 53, so he's now gone to plus two uh, through 17 holes. So not a good start at all for the Queenslander in his title defence. That puts him, what, eight shots off the pace at the moment. <clears throat> if Minwoo Lee can get in there at minus six. And we've still got a few players out there at uh, four under the card. So an interesting first day of play at the Australian PGA at Royal Queensland. If you missed it earlier, Australia through to the Davis Cup semi-finals. Of course, Captain Leighton Hewitt, very, very happy with the way that the Aussies have done it. Jordan Thompson dropped the first match in their tie, quarter-final tie in Spain against the Czech Republic. And then Alex Dimonor was right up against it. <clears throat> he was a set and a breakdown against Yuri Lehechka. But Dimonor ends up winning 4-6, 7-6, 7-5. And then that means that it's one all going to the final doubles match. Matty Ebden and Max Purcell did the job. And that means, too, that Australia will now play Finland, who surprised Canada earlier on and go through to the semi-finals for the very first time. So it's interesting how it's all playing out at the Davis Cup, the final eight there. And we've got the other two quarterfinals of Italy and Netherlands and then Serbia and Great Britain to determine the other semi-finals on the other side of the draw there. So we'll keep our eyes on that one. Back to the text messages we go. A couple of quick ones before we wrap it up this morning. Frank and Brizzy says, in the 70s and 80s, the players in thirds, Reggies and seniors, um, had jersey allocated to them at the start of the year. Thirds were like 30 and Reggies 20s. Seniors, one, and when you saw a bigger number, you knew that he came through the ranks. Yeah, that that's right. Or, or they were coming back from injury, perhaps. I don't know why, but I've always remembered the day that Choppy Close, Chris Close, ran out of Brookvale Oval, and he, I'm sure it was either number 55 or it was either 54, 55, 56. It's the weird rain man in me. I don't know why, but I just remember it. He must have been coming back from injury or something or other. Bulldog Bob says, Matty, re-headgear sponsorship. Thurston and several other players wear Madison or wore Madison headgear, so wouldn't they have private sponsorships with Madison, which goes into their Sky Rockets? Well, someone's got to make them. <clears throat> so... That's a little bit different to the advertising part of it. The manufacturer's name on the jumper. It's like like having Classic or Nike or whatever it is on the jumper itself. Thank you for that, Bulldog Bob. Six and a half minutes to the hour. We'll take our final break and come back and wrap it up after this. That's it, folks. We're at the Check It Flag on this Thursday morning. To everyone who took part in the last listener standing quiz, thank you uh, so much. It was good fun. We tested our knowledge and we got there in the end. Uh, thanks to all of our callers this morning and our texters as well. Of course, we're back again tomorrow. Aaron Noonan will join me as we look ahead towards the Supercars Race Weekend at Adelaide where the weather's going to be a huge talking point. Championship, obviously, on the line. We'll get some racing tips off Chris Nelson like we always do on a uh, Friday. God, it's Friday already. Stick around. Afternoons with Jimmy Smith is coming up. Part two of his extended interview with Phil, uh, Phil Gould and, of course, Adrian Prezenko from the Sydney Morning Herald will be along as well. Minwoo Lee leading the Australian PGA at six under the card. Thanks for your input today. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. Bye for now.